This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond the million square feet of cultivation space, CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host, Sean Eubanks. Thanks for joining us and welcome to Blunt Business. I'm your host, Sean Eubanks, Vice President of Strainwise Consulting. And on our show today, we have Travis Bliss, attorney at Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney, PC in Wilmington, Delaware. Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney, PC has hundreds of attorneys and government relations professionals practicing throughout the United States with offices in Charlotte, Washington, D.C., Alexandra, Alexandria, New York, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Fort Lauderdale, Fort Myers, Miami, Tampa, Tallahassee, Wilmington, of course, Princeton, Newark, and San Diego. In California, the firm's known as Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney LP. Buchanan's attorneys have experience in industries that include entertainment and media, pharmaceuticals and biomedicine, nanotechnology, financial institutions, construction, franchise, and real estate. Within these and other industries, Buchanan's attorneys focus on more than 65 practice areas, including corporate finance, litigation, intellectual property, tax, government relations, healthcare, labor and employment, and energy. The firm serves national and international clients that include Fortune 500 corporations, startup technology companies, and financial institutions. Now, on to our guest, Dr. Travis Bliss provides counseling in nearly all major aspects of intellectual property law to clients ranging from individual inventors to small businesses and Fortune 500 companies. Travis has assisted clients in issuing relating uh, to IP procurement, licenses, counseling opinions, competitive strategy, and enforcement. Travis's experience in multiple areas of intellectual property allows him to consider multiple facets of intellectual property law when counseling a client on an IP issue, thereby providing his clients with a comprehensive view of the IP landscape. Travis's flexibility and his adaptability to consider 
and work in the newest legal proceedings and technologies give value to clients who are looking for optimal solutions specific to their business needs. From a technology standpoint, Travis's practice is largely within the field of biology and biotechnology, including novel plant varieties, uh, for example, in the ornamental fruit and, of course, the trees, transgenic plants, diagnostic testing methods, apparatus, pharmaceuticals, and biologics as well as in the chemical field, including polymer science and materials science. Travis also maintains a docket of trademark applications filed both domestically and internationally. Uh, in addition to his IP workload, Travis also strives to give back to the community and the legal profession by participating in pro bono legal programs. Travis has volunteered as a guardian uh, for the Delaware Office of the Child Advocate, representing the interests of children who are in the custody of the state and who are involved in difficult custody disputes. As a result of his efforts on these cases, Travis was awarded the David B. Brown Pro Bono Award in 2010. So, Travis, without further ado, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're more than welcome. So, so how's it going in, uh, you, obviously, your firm, Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney, is all over the country. What a, what a dynamic um, opportunity you have and exposure with, with that firm. But you're specific to Wilmington, Delaware, right? I am. I work in the Wilmington office, uh, but my practice is is much more national than that uh, because I do intellectual property work, which for the most part uh, is based on federal law. I'm able to in pretty much every state, which is great in you know an industry like the cannabis industry where it's starting to expand um, into you know the majority of states. I'm able to work with companies in essentially anywhere uh, that that is now starting to legalize. So is there any part of the country that you are doing most of your workload now or is it kind of spread out? It's pretty spread out, um, you know, and, and that relates specifically to me with regard to the firm for the more state specific issues, the attorneys in the individual states that handle, for instance, real estate issues or um you know, issues with dealing with just really the paperwork aspect of trying to apply for uh, a license in the cannabis space. They're more state specific. So we have a lot of work done in, in Florida with that. We have a large base there. We have a lot of work in Pennsylvania where we have a large base. Um, you know, but for me, I am currently working with clients kind of throughout the country in every industry, including cannabis. Okay. And we don't talk much about Delaware on this uh, podcast, so I do want to dive into that. I mean, there is a medical program there. There's one compassionate care center. Can you kind of give me a lay of the land of what's going on in Delaware? Yeah. So, you know, Delaware is interesting because they have the, the medical marijuana. They have um, one center opened, as you said, but you're so far, I would say, to put it nicely, the program has been slow to start. Um, but while it's slow to start on, even on the medical level, um, there's currently a huge push to legalize recreational or adult use marijuana in Delaware. Uh, and you know, it, it looks rather promising actually, though, you know, given the history, you'd wonder whether even if the bills pass, if it's going to be very slow getting off the ground. What unique challenges do you have in Delaware and, and why, um, you know, diplomatically speaking, uh, you know, I don't want you to drop anybody in the grease, but what's happening in Delaware that's causing it to, to move slower than we want? Well, I think we have an interesting 
time, I guess, everywhere, but you know, Delaware is no different. We have the majority of people uh, seem to approve of it in surveys that are done. The majority of people really approve of, of medical and even recreational marijuana in Delaware. With that said, we have a reasonably good majority of our um, local representatives that are on board, but there are definitely some powers in the government uh, that, that seem to kind of be putting the brakes on. And that includes right now, you know, the governor has said that he's questioning whether the adult use would be a good idea, despite the fact that they're really pushing it hard to get it through uh, state Congress that, um, you know, maybe a wait and see approach might be better right now. So I think it's just sort of that push and pull between the various personalities in the government. And, you know, that's, it's definitely a, a heated debate among people about which way to go. Okay, so in the state of Delaware, Travis, you have um, one of those centers is open. Kind of, have you have you been by that center? Is it thriving? What is the general attitude um, for the legislators and the community in general about that one compassionate care center that's open? I have not been by it. My understanding is that it's it's doing well, and that uh, people, the the legislators who have seen it are, and are involved in it have been, I would say, happy with the way it's progressing. Um, yeah, you know, with that, we're slow to open. Uh, there's two more that are supposed to come online, I believe, relatively soon. But, you know, it's it's just slow going here, which I think has been frustrating for people in the state and even, you know, legislators who are strongly in support of it uh, to see, you know, sort of to get over the legislative hump and then to not have it really take off. Okay. And in, in the way of the re- recreational debate, how is that tracking and when, what kind of pushback is coming from recreational and or adult use and, and why is that happening? You think given the success of the ones that's open and the fact that two more are coming. So the real pushback I've heard has been mostly along the lines of it's too early to tell whether these adult use states are seeing positive results or negative results. Uh, You know, the the question, a lot of people tie it, for instance, to opioid addiction and it will, is it going to cause an increase or a decrease? Um, So I, I think that's a lot of at least what's being outwardly stated as the reasons for wanting to delay. Let's wait, maybe give it another five years or so and see how these states really fare uh, where the adult use has been allowed. Uh, To some extent, maybe that's, maybe there is enough data to really tell, but um, at this point, that's really what's being said as as the, the main pushback that we're getting. Okay, and do you anticipate that um, more can come online? One of the things in pre- about Delaware is they have the physical manifestations of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a, is a, you know, is a great indicator from a financial side of things that, um, that the program is going to do very well, uh, meaning you don't have a lot of pressure on doctors. I mean, do you see that as a positive, and do you see – doctors able to write more prescriptions and that flowing nicely or do you see a bottleneck or other serious issues uh, with doctors feeling comfortable writing prescriptions 
Again, from what I've heard, I mean, I, I don't see that as a bottleneck. I think, again, I think people have been happy with most aspects of the, the program, the medical program, uh, as it's been put in place so far, uh, which is, again, I mean, it's a bit of a conundrum that when, when everybody's so happy with the program, why is then their pushback if, mm-hmm. uh, of, of expanding it? either by opening more sites that are medical or expanding it into to rec use. Gotcha. So for you, Travis, personally, what drew you to the industry? So for me, um, you know, as an intellectual property person, I'm, I'm always interested in kind of new technology. That's a lot of what we do. We deal with invention, uh, new things coming online. Uh, and for me specifically, I do a lot of work in other plant-based industries, uh, so I've done a lot of work with seed crop companies. Uh, I've done a lot of work with uh, genetically engineered crop uh, issues. Uh, I've done a lot of work that with uh, things that have to do with um, sort of taking harvesting biological diversity uh, from other places, other countries where there may be potential medical use for things. Uh, and then I've done a lot of work uh, more recently with uh, fruit and ornamental crops and protecting those. So I think, you know, with this, with cannabis being an emerging industry, that was already interesting to me. And then with my strong background in plant work, you know, they just sort of tie together. And for me, I'm also coming with a, my PhD was from a department of agriculture. So, you know, I sort of had that, that sort of background It all just tied together well for me. That's outstanding. What we just finished up an application process in Pennsylvania. And one of the things I loved about our client is their strong agricultural background um, and, and so many intelligent people moving into this industry. So I applaud you for stepping into it. Uh, but your background's impressive. And, the fact that you have an agriculture background as well, PhD there, uh, very, very, very impressive. And uh, man, I applaud you for doing that. So um, are you primarily, uh, of your caseload, how much of it is cannabis and how much of it is other? What percentage? So in the IP space, they're really just moving in, uh, cannabis is really just starting to move into the space. So a lot of my, I do a fair amount of consulting right now, mm-hmm. but it's not, the same type of traditional work that I do for more mature industries where people really know the IP avenues that are available and the IP strategies that they prefer to use. With the cannabis, a lot of the work I'm doing now, and you know, on a percentage basis, it's probably, it's building, uh, it's in the double digits, but it's not 100% for sure because cannabis IP just isn't there. Uh, but you know, a lot of the work I'm doing for people is more along the lines of, talk on end about what types of IP they could be using, what types of strategies exist and maybe have been used successfully in other similar industries or related. And then you know, sort of helping them form the, the business plan around that. So, you know, a lot of these businesses are very early in formulating their thoughts on how they're going to move forward and try to capitalize enough market share in order to stay in business. And I try to talk and help them tie IP into that to help themselves move forward as the market is starting to mature. 
Excellent. Well, we need to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll be rejoined today by Travis Bliss and Rooney PC, nationwide uh, attorney who is helping uh, cannabis entrepreneurs across the country. We're going to dive into IP strategies, uh, formulation of business plans, and, and things to help you move forward with IP. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting cannabis business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Blunt Business. I'm your host, Sean Eubanks, Vice President of Strainwise Consulting. And on our show today, we have Travis Bliss, attorney at Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney PC. So we're going to dive in next into IP strategies and talk about how they relate to other industries and, and the knowledge that Travis is bringing in and then formulation of business plans and some things like that. So welcome back, Travis. Thank you. Thanks again for having me. Yeah. So so IP strategy, let's dive into that. Give us a brief overview and give us a direction on, on, on that discussion and what you'd like to cover. Sure. Um, yeah, there's, there's a few pieces of IP that are out there that I think are extremely for cannabis businesses. Uh, and they're similar to the types of IP pieces and strategies that are put in place in, in other related industries. So, for instance, if you look at, at the um, fruit industry, the ornamental plant industry, which has been really operating with strong IP for many years, though to a large extent that was unbeknownst to most of the public. Uh, if you look at them, they use strong patent protection and strong trademark protection on their varieties in order to try to capture the most value out of the effort they put into innovating new and useful ideas. Um, so for instance, if you look at, at apples, like the Honeycrisp apple is a well-known, it's become very popular recently. That was a patented variety of apple that was uh, developed by a university. And um, you know, over the years, because of their, their patent rights on it, they were able to capture a lot of value from that, which helps to fund 
their breeding program for future uh, varieties. So it helps them to come up with more varieties down the road. And, you know, I think that sort of strategy is something that would be useful to cannabis breeders. Uh, you know, if you talk to breeders, a lot of them have come up with a, a lot of very nice, innovative strains that people like or would like to have. Uh, and they, people should be rewarded for for coming up with that. And, you know, the the IP that you capture around that can help to continue to fund your breeding program. So, you know, I think there are some pieces that people could put in place to help them really drive their business with IP in mind and help to capture value out of that, that innovation and all the breeding efforts they put in. Outstanding. So with the Honeycrisp Apple, walk us through what was able to actually be protected there. Was it the, uh, the plant patent? Was it the seeds? Was it the in in color and the appearance were there or was it all of the above or what it because i want to kind of eventually tie into what's going to be possible on the cannabis plant uh which with as an example of using that apple yeah it's a, it's a great question so um we can look at the honey crisp so i'm actually going to shift it to a a slightly better example uh which is the jazz apple and and there's a reason for that that we can talk about as we get further in it has to do with the uh, use of trademarks um so if you look at the jazz apple which is becoming more popular today. Uh, after they developed that apple, which took quite a number of years of breeding program, um, they captured a plant patent on it. And that's a traditional plant patent. And plant patents cover asexually reproduced plants. So it has to be a plant that's produced or capable of being reproduced by graftings or cuttings, uh, which Obviously, you know, cannabis falls into that space. A lot of cannabis growers are using clonal reproduction, so they're using cuttings. So, you know, the, the first thing you capture on it is that plant patent. And the nice thing about plant patents, unlike what most people think of as a traditional patent, which is actually called a utility patent, a plant patent is relatively simple to prepare. And because of that, uh, the costs for it are not nearly as high, and uh, long-term costs go way down as well. So, you know, for a utility patent, while you may be talking about twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars or more, even to get a utility patent, for a plant patent, you're talking closer to ten thousand um, dollars. And the timeline for for getting a plant patent issued is much shorter. Utility patent, you're talking a few years. A plant patent usually issues in about a year. Um, so, you, and as as far as preparation and the type of information needed, that's also usually at the fingertips of breeders. Plant patents, you really just put in a very detailed description of the plant from a botany standpoint. What shape are the leaves? What, what do the edges look like? What color is it? What color is the flower? How tall is it? Very basic information. I mean, it takes measurement, it takes some time to generate. You know, to the extent you have um, testing data from cannabinoids or terpene profiles, you, you can add that to the patent application and it definitely will, will strengthen it to some extent, but it's not probably even absolutely necessary. And if a patent examiner wanted it, they could ask for it later. So to prepare a plant patent application usually only requires information that breeders already have. They're relatively fast to get uh, expensive on, on a grand scheme. So you know, with the Jazz Apple, they started with, with that. You capture a plant patent on it first. And then that plant patent actually covers 
the variety name of the apple. So it had some nondescript name, you know, XYZ47 or something. And then Jazz is a trademark name. So then they, they brand it with a trademark. And, and uh, then they're able to go out and license the, both the patent and the trademark to growers to start growing the apple trees and eventually selling apples. And the original breeder collects a royalty from every, uh, every apple that's sold uh, effectively or every, every tree that's grown. So you know, that's sort of the basic strategy that industries like the fruit industry and the ornamental industry uses. You, you capture a plant patent, uh, which is pretty easy to get. You capture a trademark or you start branding, uh, which is a little more relevant to the cannabis industry, which is, again, relatively easy to do. And then you use licensing to get that out as a breeder, get it out to growers and let those growers start getting your novel variety out to the world, which is where you want it. And then you just merely collect a royalty back from those sales. Do you see cannabis acting the same way? I mean, in, and I mean, I'm assuming that there haven't been any enforceable actions that needed to take place for the jazz apple and everyone kind of falls in line. But with cannabis, you kind of have this sort of wild west approach and a, um, a lot of people coming out of um, the shadows, so to speak, and they're not real familiar with business practices. I mean, do you do you see cannabis as something if someone does the work or they contact you, Travis, and they say, listen, I want to get this plant patent. I want to do it. Do you see yourself being able to to enforce that? And is that worth the investment for the average small entrepreneur? It's a, it's a really good question because you're right. There's a lot of Wild West in uh, the cannabis industry right now. In fact, I was reading uh, some, some uh, magazine articles on uh, winners of certain accolades and you can see that there's a fair amount of uh, intellectual property, um, maybe disregard for intellectual property that goes on. And I think it's just because they are new industry. It's a new industry. They're new businesses. Uh, they just intellectual property isn't necessarily their main focus. And with that in mind, I think, yes, if you look at fruit and ornamentals and seed crop industries, uh, especially in fruit and ornamentals, when you're talking about traditional plant patents, trademarks and licensing, the enforcement is very low because for the most part, people do fall in line. You give them a license. They follow the terms of the license. Now, I'm not saying that people don't step outside the lines, but usually when they get caught, it's very rare when it goes to court. Usually it's we found out that you only paid to grow a thousand trees and you actually planted 10,000 trees. So you owe us a royalty on the other 9,000 trees plus some sort of penalty. And the person usually just pays it and, and everybody starts to move forward. Um, with the cannabis industry, you're right. It, it may not work quite the same. And the reason that's an interesting question is because I think enforcement of patents is up in the air right now with regard to cannabis. So the patent office has specifically said that they will grant patents that cover new cannabis varieties. And they have granted patents that cover new cannabis varieties. So that's clear. You can get the patents. But to enforce a patent, for, to, to go after somebody for infringing your patent, you actually have to take them to federal court. So the question becomes, would a federal court enforce a patent that's directed towards a novel strain of cannabis? And that's a complete question mark right now. 
So I think it's a, it's a very good question because from an enforcement standpoint, it may be difficult for patent infringement right now. Now, that doesn't mean we're out of options. It's just that that may be uh, right now a little bit problematic. I would say that the way that enforcement would more likely happen in a case like, you know, in the cannabis industry today, if, if I were to license to somebody my novel variety and say you're allowed to, to grow it and sell it, and I find out that they grew, you know, a ton and they only paid me for 100 pounds, I would, instead of suing them in federal court for patent infringement, I would sue them for breach of contract or tell them I was going to sue them for breach of contract. And, I, and that would happen in state court. And I think state courts, because states are legalizing cannabis, would enforce the license terms. So I don't think enforcement would be impossible, but it's a slightly different case than for other industries for sure. Wow, that is tremendous advice, uh, Travis. I appreciate that. And I think for our listeners, in case you you miss that, you gloss over it, really, really important. You stay focused on the state level. You don't take it to a federal level, and you enforce contract law, which in effect is going to get you the same result down the road. That's exactly right. Right. So you, you, you just – so with that in mind, you have to make sure that your licenses are worded well, that they're structured properly to give you that option so that when you find a licensee who's doing something wrong, you go after them in state court and you're not forced to try to get them for patent infringement. Yeah, that's that's so wonderful you brought that up because a lot of people think, okay, it's federally legal. I'm not going to have a case. Therefore, I don't need to protect it in the very beginning and probably a common mistake that a small business owner might might make. Um, whereas it's sort of a leap of faith for them to say, look, I'm going to take these steps and try to protect myself and protect my brand and my, and my, to get, to get the patents and get the trademark and get everything going, um, go ahead and do that now versus trying to prove use at a later date. Yeah. And I think, you know, with that in mind, with regard to kind of that, that decision point that cannabis breeders have to make, growers have to make, other industries have to make, um, on, whether to protect your variety now or to wait. Part of the problem with, with the industry right now and that uncertainty around enforcement is that there is a bit of a time bomb built into the patent law. And that is, if you've been selling your variety for more than a year, you may not be able to get a patent on it anymore. So you have to think on the front end whether or not you want to protect things with patent protection and knowing that, well, maybe enforcement in federal court would be problematic now. I think I can use licensing, but what if I have to enforce in federal court? You know, you have to go through this process, but you have to keep in mind that the timeline on a patent is very long. It's a long horizon. Patents last 20 years from the date you file. So you file today, you're looking and thinking, what do I think the cannabis industry legal landscape will look like in 2037. That's, that's pretty far out there. Uh, I think a lot of people would say that the likelihood of it being federally legal is much higher in 2037. Um, so you know, things to keep in mind uh, are when you're building your strategy for IP, you have to be thinking very long term and though maybe there's some problems in the short term, you're doing this in order to make sure you're positioned well in a mature market 20 years down the road.
Excellent. Well, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we rejoin today with Travis Bliss, attorney at Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney PC. We're going to dive into some specific questions about strain names, about what should be protected, what could be protected, and talk about the business end of that. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Blunt Business. I'm your host, Sean Eubanks, Vice President of StrainWise Consulting. We have been talking to Travis Bliss, attorney at Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney PC. Welcome back, Travis. Oh, thanks. All right, so let's get into some trademark issues and the federal rub there and what to do with trademarks. Yeah, that's that's another great question here. Um, so, as I think a lot of people in the in the cannabis industry are aware at this point, uh, there is some difficulty right now with getting federal trademarks. So, I, sort of an interesting point is that the government office that grants patents and trademarks is the same office. They both come from the Patent and Trademark Office, and while on the patent side. The government has clearly stated we will grant patents that cover cannabis plants, cannabis products, cannabis methods, uh, and they have done that. On the trademark side, because of the difference in the laws, the government has held that they will not grant any trademark protection for products that are illegal under federal law. So that would include the plants themselves, but other things like edibles, um, you know, actual cannabis products. So with that in mind, if you have a a new grow light that you've come up with, uh, that's great for growing cannabis and you want to call it the pot maximizer, you could probably trademark that name because the product is not illegal under federal law, a light you can sell. But on the other side of that coin, if you're selling cannabis plants or plant material, so you're selling actual flour, and um, you have a, uh, your farm is named River Ridge Farms, which doesn't 
you know, outwardly seem to have anything to do with cannabis, you likely could not get a trademark to protect the name River Ridge Farms if it's being used to sell your actual cannabis flower, your cannabis product. So, you know, there's, there's that, that rub that goes on right now when people are coming up with a branding strategy, where in most industries, people would immediately go for federal trademark registration. In the cannabis industry, it may not be quite as easy. Interesting. So if you, you know, they're kind of honoring the fact that, hey, if you're, if you're growing cannabis and touching the plant, there's a whole separate issue with that. And so it's interesting because you have a lot of people that are trying to sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, disguise the actual growing of cannabis uh, and try to get protections that way. Then you have light manufacturers who are kind of wanting to present themselves as a cannabis company and, 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 you know, reach across the aisle and, and to, uh, to other cannabis uh, entrepreneurs, but um, would you advise on the light side t- for them to avoid names like Pot Maximizer, or would you for it, make it a cannabis-specific light and go after that market, or would you you recommend a different approach? So it's an interesting kind of question there because while theoretically, because the product is legal it shouldn't matter really what the name is uh, i would still generally advise if you want the trademark application to sail through readily uh, that you keep the word cannabis out of the name now if it's a grow light and you call it pot maximizer that's sort of I mean, that has two meanings right you're maximizing the amount of plant in whatever your pot is um you know, or, or you could say the same thing about weed, but once you get into marijuana or cannabis, um, you know, it gets a little trickier. And um, you know, with that in mind, examiners will frequently reject trademark applications that have the word cannabis in them. Now, in kind of along the same lines, the Supreme Court has been weighing in on federal trademark rules recently, and some of the bans that the trademark office has put in place and they've been striking them down. So long term, I think you may be okay with registering that name, but in the short term, I think you'll have trouble if your grow light is called, you know, the marijuana maximizer. Right. No, wonderful points. And I know we're in our last segment here and I could kind of talk about this all day, but let me shift gears for you for a kind of a nationwide licensing scenario we we at strainwise consulting we are we are expanding our footprint from everywhere for these retail locations we have clients that come to us and they love our brand and they say look you know what you already perfected it we'd like to have a dispensary in puerto rico we'd like to have one in maryland we'd like to have one in pennsylvania ohio different areas obviously coast to coast uh, in california and so we're expanding nationwide growing rapidly right now uh in in, a, in a, an exciting but sometimes overwhelming situation we get a lot of questions because we will license our brand to to people and the way that we want to be very clear and say it's not a franchise model. It's licensing our name. We don't really control anything and don't think in the terms of like McDonald's where we're requiring you to buy the fries. We're simply going to help you negotiate wholesale contracts and make sure you, we set the business up for, for uh, success. But do you have any advice for – licensing protections for because there are several companies there's there's compassionate care i think um i could just probably name 10 or 15 that are nationwide companies that are doing the kind of the similar situation that we're doing what advice do you have for uh protecting your licensing um 
adventures that way? And, and, and is that something you can do or is it something that needs to be addressed state to state? No, I think I think that's a good example of where you can use federal law to your advantage. Um, so when you're licensing in a, in a model like that, a lot of what you end up licensing is your trademark name. And what goes along with that is usually your your expertise, which you could say a lot of that is really trade secret expertise. It's you know the company's confidential business information, the way your company does business. And that's really what you're licensing to people. You're saying, look, we'll we'll give you some names to use and we'll come in and help you set things up using all of the know-how that we've gained, which is confidential to us. And a lot of that falls under federal law. So um, you know I think a, a nationwide licensing scheme, you should be thinking of making sure that as a company, you know, from your side, you're protecting your your trade secret confidential information as best you can, and that you're getting as strong a protection on your brand names, your trademarks, as you can. Um, and then obviously, ultimately, where the rubber meets the road with a scheme like that is in the licensing contracts. And, and so that's where you want to put a lot of effort is on you know how are you how are you contracting to make sure that that the people that you're licensing to are getting the most out of it and that they're protected along with you you know when when you're licensing something to somebody like that at your your licensing and your trademark protection not only helps you but it helps the people you license it to because it gives them a leg up over other people that aren't working with your business Gotcha. And so what is not protected, Travis, in the way that so so for example, if we license, say you want to open up a retail location in Delaware, we say, Great, here's a strain wise name. Here you go. We're here's our SOPs, here's how to do it. We're gonna come in the first 90 days, help you hire everybody, get set up. You wanna be a passive owner, but because we're teaching you the business. Um, we're not, nothing's proprietary in the way that we do it, except for the totality of the way we do it. But there's no way for us to say, Hey, don't ever use, you know, this methodology in the future. For, for example, we might do a two-year contract or a five with a, or a five-year contract with maybe a two-year buyout, but you'll say, okay, after two years, you're like, you know what, strain wise, thanks so much. I kind of have the gist of this. Um, I'll go out on my own. What? recourse would we have or would that be something that could be enforced where we could say well actually we've taught you everything but we didn't we didn't represent it as proprietary uh, or we didn't license it and just keep you you know behind the curtain we actually as an open book does that expose us for some liability down the road uh not right not liability from the standpoint that you could uh, get in trouble for it but if you're not um being careful to make it clear in your agreements that the information you provide to them is your confidential business information and that to the extent they break their agreement with you, they're not allowed to continue to use it. Uh, that could expose you to the risk that they do exactly what you said. You know, they, they sign an agreement with you and shortly after you teach them all of your, your secrets, they say, you know what, we don't really need you anymore. So we're willing to forego the name. We'll give you back the name and um, we'll just march forward with our own name. Uh, but using all the same things, all, the, all that secret sauce that you just taught us. So uh, and again, I think you know, that like so much in, in this industry and a lot of industries, it's really down to 
how good your contracts are, you know, how strong they are. You want to make sure that you've thought through all those issues and that you really, you know, have yourself protected in those contracts. Because like everything else, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, big business marching in and being a bad guy when you have strong contract protection. It's that your company has put a lot of effort into developing these systems that work. You know, this is, this is a good way to do it. And you want to protect that innovation. So, you know, to the extent you do that through trademarks and trade secrets and, and licensing contracts, you have to make sure that, that those are rock solid so that you are able to capture the value for all that innovation that you've put into coming up with those systems that work. Outstanding, Travis. And we've got about a minute left. Tell us how we can get in touch with you and then also give us a direction for what we should contact you for and what we should not contact you for. So from um, how to contact me, uh, email is always the best. I'm Travis.bliss at BIPC.com. That's you know for Buchanan Ingersoll PC. Uh, or Telephone's always fine, um, but my contact information is easily found on the website. That's probably the best way to go about it. Um, and what you should contact me for, definitely any IP or licensing or contract-related issues, uh, I would be very helpful for branding issues, strategy issues, things like that. But to the extent you know, people need help with other areas of it, you know, the, the firm in general, especially in the markets where we're strong, where we have a strong base like uh, Pennsylvania and Florida, you know, we have people that help cannabis businesses do sort of all of those startup things that are needed. So uh, for me specifically, it's more IP focused, but the firm definitely handles all aspects of cannabis. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Blunt Business. Of course, Strainwise Consulting, we are the most sought after consulting company for applications and management contracts in the cannabis industry. We consulted on the very first recreation license in the world. We have nine branded dispensaries throughout Colorado, more than 100,000 square feet of cultivation space. Of course, we are among the top five marijuana companies in Colorado. We are also the consultant to the very first vertically integrated Native American tribe selling cannabis in the United States. So I so appreciate you joining us today and also our guest, Travis Bliss, attorney at Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney. Thank you all so much for joining us. You can download episodes of our program by going on to CannabisRadio.com, BluntBusinessRadio.com, or subscribing to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, and now on iHeartRadio. Until next time, we'll see you. Take care. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. 
Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.